Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and pets and plants that are important to you. I got a job! For those who didn't know, I've been looking for new full-time employment for about a month, and last week I accepted an offer and will be returning to work at the end of February. I want to thank everyone who reached out to offer words of encouragement. I want to thank everyone who connected with me on LinkedIn. I sincerely appreciate all the support. I look forward to a long, happy, and successful career with this new company. Folks, you are listening to the People Are the Enemy podcast, and while writing and selling self-published books is not my full-time job, my novels are the only products I actively and regularly encourage you to buy because, unlike other shows, there are no ads on People Are the Enemy, and there is no Patreon set up for it. If you'd like to help support this podcast and myself monetarily and get yourself or the reader in your life some excellent fiction, the best way to do that is by purchasing any or all of my 11 novels. I write in a variety of genres, and all my works are standalone stories that you can read in any order. All 11 of my titles are currently available worldwide at Amazon in both ebook and paperback formats. And if you don't use Amazon, you can find and buy all 11 of my novels in ebook format at Google Play. Just search my last name, which is spelled M A S C O L A. That's how you'll find me on Google Play. If you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. people are the enemy listeners thank you for checking out the show you are now rocking with the best it's good to have you along sing it gene all right we're gonna take it down we got a show to do i love it but we got to get into other things for those who don't know that was the song mr big stuff by gene knight from the year 1971. Yeah, you all thought I only played music from the 90s and 2000s. <laughs> we can go back. I'll take it back on you. Did you have a good Valentine's Day? All right. Or maybe not all right. <laughs> Are inflatable balloons trash while we're thinking about Valentine's Day? I got a couple, not Valentine's balloons, but I got some, a couple congratulations balloons from my father when I got an offer letter for this new job. And they've been in my car about a week. And I realized that I could easily get rid of these two balloons by taking them out of the back seat of my car and just opening my hand and letting them go and they would fly away. But is that littering? I don't know. I think, keep thinking to myself like, these inflatable balloons will eventually lose Air, right? Helium. <laughs> I couldn't think of the word helium. <laughs> Eventually lose helium, and they'll settle down, and at which point I can put them in my garbage can. But uh, no, not yet. 
And uh, I suppose I could, you know, pop them and throw them away, but I feel... I, I, for whatever reason, I, I feel like that's kind of like destroying a gift, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. So, is just letting helium balloons go into the atmosphere, is that, is that littering? I think it is, right? We, we did this experiment in elementary school in Massachusetts, and, uh, they gave each of us kids one helium balloon attached to a string, and an index card. And we were told to write our name on the index card as well as the name of our elementary school and the phone number for our, our elementary school. And then we all went outside and we let them go. All these balloons. And then we were told that if somebody found one and uh, reported in on where it was found, we would... Uh, we'd see just how far these things could go. But wouldn't you know, about three weeks later, our teacher announces to the class that one of our balloons, not mine, but a fellow student of mine, one of the balloons was found in a tree in Canada by two hunters. It's pretty amazing, right? We're in a town in Massachusetts, about 20 minutes outside of Boston, and a balloon flies all the way to Canada? Incredible. You know what else is incredible? Gumby Pizza. Did you even know there was such a thing? I had no idea until my cousin told me. He lives in Missouri. And he said, yeah, we're probably going to get Gumby Pizza tonight. I was like, what? what is Gumby Pizza? I said, when I think of Gumby, I think of, you know, the green slab of clay. He's like, oh yeah, that's what it is. I was like, what? How did Gumby come to be associated with pizza? So I look it up online. Sure enough, Gumby Pizza is a pizza place. There are about nine of these locations. And basically, it's just a, a pizza franchise. Nothing special, really. That just utilizes Gumby and Pokey and the other characters to advertise their pizza. And uh, the website is the saddest thing you've ever seen. Holy moly. It's got the nine locations there, as if that's something to be proud of. It's got all the forms you need to open up your own Gumby Pizza franchise. Gumby Pizza. Yeah, and they specialize in pokey sticks. Guess what pokey sticks are? Yup, breadsticks. Basic breadsticks. <laughs> My cousin sent me a, uh, a Gumby Pizza magnet. I love it. He told me, he said, every time we get a Gumby Pizza, they always put one of these damn magnets in them. We've got them all over our fridge. I said, I want a Gumby Pizza magnet. <laughs> he sent me one. <laughs> How cool is that? It made me happy. Speaking of being happy, the other morning I woke up sad. Oof. Wished I was happy. Sitting on the couch, feeling sorry for myself. You know, I'm in between jobs. It's depressing. My wife sees me. She says, what's going on? I said, no, I don't know. Just kind of down. She says, what do you need? I said, I want a donut. And I did. She said, so get a donut. 
She gives me her card. She's got a Dunkin' Donuts gift card that she got from Christmas. She still has it. If that thing was in my possession, it would have been burnt out before New Year's. But I did. I got in my car, took her card, immediately. Right then and there. Went to the Dunks down the street. Because I live in New England, there's literally a Dunkin' Donuts in like a quarter mile of each direction from my house. Cars all spilling out of the drive-thru. This was first thing in the morning. People going to work. I sat in the drive-thru. When I got up to the box, I ordered a uh, glazed donut. Not only did I order a glazed donut, but I ordered a strawberry frosted with sprinkles. Those are my faves. Glazed donut, strawberry frosted with sprinkles. Those are my two go-tos. My third may be maple glazed. But this time I just got two. Glazed, strawberry frosted with sprinkles, and I got a blue raspberry culotta to wash it down. The girl called me honey. I love that. That's all it takes. Have a great day, honey. Thank you. Then I went and I pulled my car so it was facing outward so I could watch all the people going through the drive-thru on their way to their jobs. And I cranked the heat, because it was 20 degrees. Drank my frozen culotta. Ate my donuts, and I listened to my favorite podcast. That's right, people are the enemy. Yeah. I listen to my own podcast more than I listen to anybody else's. I love this show. You want to have a little party for yourself? Get yourself a couple donuts and a drink. I don't care what kind of donuts. I don't care what kind of drink. Go sit in the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot. Listen to the People Are the Enemy podcast. You'll be happy. That's all it takes. Party for one. Remember curly straws? I still see them in the grocery store. I had a couple curly straws as a kid. They had like three loop-de-loops. You know? Suck up milk through a curly straw. Like it was fun. I remember going to a friend's house. He had a curly straw. It was all mangled. I was like, what, what happened to this curly straw? He said, my mother put it in the dishwasher. Whoops. Why is everything sold in sixes? Why do you get like six eggs, dozen eggs, six pack of beer, six pack of soda? There's seven days in a week. Is it too much to make seven Sixes. It's almost cruel, right? Shoot. Alright, I'm done complaining. You want to hear some clips? Alright, play the clip music. Okay, the first clip, actually, I should I should forewarn you, both these clips are Mitski-related clips, okay? So if you don't like Mitski, I'm sorry. I love Mitski. And, uh, yeah, my TikTok algorithm must be feeding me Mitski-related clips. The first of these is uh, the director, Sofia Coppola, talking to the Canadian director, Celine Song. And, uh, 
This was interesting to me, if only because... And I'll tell you, I love Sofia Coppola. Marie Antoinette. Lost in Translation. The Bling Ring. Okay, that wasn't that good. Somewhere. That was pretty good. Stephen Dorff. Remember that one? She's made some great films. Heck, The Virgin Suicides. Great book. Great movie. Anyway, she usually puts some great music in her films, too. So I was surprised when I heard this clip of, uh, of Sofia Coppola talking with, again, Canadian director Celine Song. And Sofia Coppola does not know who Mitski is. Check this out. All right, here it is. So uh, Sofia Coppola speaks first in this clip. What album do you have on repeat right now? I feel like I've been listening to uh, the Mitski's new album. Who? Mitski. I don't know who that is. Mitski. I think you'll like it. Okay. Uh, Mitski has a new album, and I, I listen to that on repeat. I listen to Hosier. It's new album on repeat. I don't think I listen to. I don't think I know yeah. anything new. <laughs> what, 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 what do you listen to? Um, I don't know what you're listening I to. Don't know. This morning I was listening to Chet Baker, Let's Get Lost, because <sighs> it's winter and we're home. Yeah. But yeah, I don't have one that I'm over and over listening to. Weird, right? You'd think, like, you know, just think about like the Lost in Translation soundtrack. There's so much great music on there. Also, the movie Somewhere. A lot of new music on there. You'd think Sofia Coppola would be familiar with Mitski, but I guess not. Interesting. Okay, this other clip is Mitski herself, who performed in Boston this past week. And uh, she uh, she recommended the entire city get therapy. <laughs> I thought this was quite good. So this is Mitski telling the city of Boston that they, they all need therapy, or that the city itself needs therapy. Check this out. I have noticed that Boston as a city is incredibly deep and complex, and that's beautiful. But have y'all as a city considered therapy? <laughs> you know, talking to a professional about your sad, deep, complex, and long history. <laughs> Again, I may be overstepping here, but you know how I know you're not going to get therapy? Because you're old. <laughs> and the older generation never gets therapy. Even though you give them all the resources, and you go, this will make your life better and all of our lives better if you just ask for help. You didn't fail. I mean, you did, but there's no, there's no shame in getting help, but no, no, you won't get therapy. So we, all of us, get therapy about you, but you don't get therapy. Guys, I don't think she's talking about Boston anymore. Just my two cents. Good stuff, right? She's got a pretty good sense of timing, I thought. And she was able to do that without being insulting, really. More funny. I wonder if Mitski likes stand-up comedy. Hmm. All right, well, that about does it for me. I'm going to hand things off now to our friend, Rachel from Des Moines. And she is going to give you the chart chat. So without any further ado, take it away, Rachel. Rachel. 
Thanks, Andy. Hello, and welcome back to Rachel's Chart Chat for another week. Thanks to everyone who listened last week. I got some nice comments from Jeffrey, Jill, Josh, who shared a great cover of San Franciscan Nights, Sherry, and Tavy, who reminded me of Roger Miller's performance as Alan Adale the Rooster in Robin Hood 1973. For this week, let's take a look into how the Swedish powerhouse group ABBA fared on the U.S. pop charts. Of their approximately 25 commercial singles released in the States, 20 made it to the Billboard Hot 100, 14 of those in the top 40, and 10 of those went top 20. From my research, the country where ABBA was most prolific on the charts was Australia, with 32 singles making the Kent Music Report chart between 72 and 82, including six number ones. I'm going to take you through ABBA's 10 biggest singles in the U.S. in chronological order. First up is Waterloo. This was the lead single from the group's second LP of the same name. It debuted on June 1st of 74 and peaked on August 24th at number 6. ABBA won Eurovision in 1974 with this song after winning the Swedish pre-selection contest Melody Festvalen. The group had entered the Swedish play-in before, but this was their first time making it through to Eurovision. 74 was also the first Eurovision, which was won by Sweden. Waterloo went to number one in the UK, the first of nine number ones there. At the time, only the Beatles, Elvis, or Cliff Richard had more. Waterloo was featured in the Simpsons episode Mother Simpson from 1995. Smithers had taped over Mr. Burns' cassette with Riot of the Valkyries on it with his favorite ABBA tune. Up next, S.O.S., the song debuted on August 9th of 75 and hit a peak of number 15 on November 8th. This is off of their third album, simply called ABBA. The group performed it on American Bandstand and the fifth ever episode of SNL during their first visit to the United States. On SNL, they performed on a set of the Deck of the Titanic, staged by head writer Michael O'Donoghue. This is according to a Paul Schaefer quote cited on Wikipedia. And of note, both the artist and the title are palindromes, and it's apparently the only Hot 100 song or UK charting single to achieve this feat. Up next is I Do, I Do, I Do, I Do, I Do, which was the third single off of that self-titled ABBA album. This debuted on February 4th of 1976. It had a peak of number 15 on May 1st. This song was known for sparking ABBA mania in Australia. I think Australia's love of them was also influenced by a music video show they had, and ABBA was making music videos for a lot of their songs. I think that's kind of where they grew their Australian fandom. It was their first number one hit in that country. It also appears during the titular wedding of Muriel's Wedding, the 1994 Australian film starring Tony Collette, where ABBA features heavily in the plot. I Do Times 5 only went number 38 in the UK, which I think is why it was not included on the 1992 compilation ABBA Gold. Of the tracks that went top 20, this is the only one that does not appear on that comp. I think the selection of it was more based on the song's performance in the UK. I Do Times 5 was relegated to the More Gold that came out in 93. Up next is Fernando. This was a new song from their 1976 greatest hits. Uh, it debuted on September 4th of 76, hitting a peak of number 13 on November 20th. This was originally released by Frida uh, Anna Fried solo in 1975. Um, I came to learn that all or that many, most ABBA songs were written by Benny and Bjorn, um, along with their manager Stig Anderson, uh, up to a certain point, and then they don't include. He does not help with the lyrics anymore. 
Stig wrote the original Swedish language lyrics to Fernando. Then Bjorn came up with a different story for the English version about two freedom fighters from the Mexican Revolution. The song was featured in a memorable scene between B. Arthur and Eric Per Sullivan in a season one episode of Malcolm in the Middle from 2000. Also used well in that 70s show and another Australian film, Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And now we get to Dancing Queen. This was the first single off of their fourth album, Arrival. It debuted on December 11th of 1976, and it hit a peak of number one for one week on April 9th of 77. It was also the number 12 song in the year-end charts for 1977. As mentioned, this was the only U.S. number one hit. It topped the charts in 17 other countries, from what I can read on Wikipedia. The song was inspired by George McRae's Rock Your Baby and the drumming on Dr. John's Gumbo. This was reportedly when Benny Anderson brought a demo home to then-wife Annie Frid Lingstred. She cried while listening to it because she found it so beautiful. And so if you didn't know that the two guys and two gals in ABBA were both married at one point, but sadly they divorced near the time that the band was kind of splitting up. I read a quote from Agnetha Falkstag that she said it was sometimes difficult to know which of their songs was going to be a hit, uh, but all of the group knew when they recorded that one they really had uh, something special on their hands and it would be a big hit. Um, I learned that ABBA performed it for Swedish royal family on different occasions. Up next is Knowing Me, Knowing You. This was the third single from Arrival. It debuted on May 14th of 77 and hit a peak at number 14 on July 23rd. This is one of the first ABBA songs to deal with the breakup of a relationship, though at the time both AB couples were still together. I learned they originally recorded under all four first names, then that manager Stig Anderson got grew annoyed with the unwieldy name and proposed simply ABBA. This was also the name of a fish canning company in Sweden, and the group had to negotiate with the company to be allowed to use the name. And I first read this fact in the book I Want to Be Sedated by Phil DeLillo and Scott Woods, but that book is full of lies, joke, lie-style jokes, so I didn't know that was true, and I had to confirm it uh, in my research today. Knowing Me, Knowing You is very well known for being associated with the character of Alan Partridge of his fictional show within a show. Up next is the song The Name of the Game. This was the lead single off of their fifth album called ABBA the Album. It debuted on December 24th of 77 and hit a peak of number 12 on March 11th of 78. Wikipedia describes it as ABBA's most complex composition yet, with shared lead vocals for Agneta and Frida with solo passages for both, as well as layered acoustic guitars. ABBA the Album was released in conjunction with ABBA the Movie, directed by Lars Hallström. He also directed the bulk of their music videos. Hallstrom has had a successful career in features, including the Mary vs. Movies pick My Life as a Dog. ABBA the Movie is mainly performances with a framed story of an Australian DJ trying to catch the band for an interview as they tour and perform across his country. Up next is Take a Chance on Me. This was the second single from ABBA the Album. It debuted on April 22nd of 78 and hit a peak on July 8th of number 3, making it the second most successful single on the U.S. pop charts. One of Benny and Bjorn's first compositions without manager Stig's assistance on the lyrics. And Record World compared the opening favorably with that of Blue Swede's Hooked on a Feeling. The song reportedly originated from a little rhythm that Bjorn would use to pace himself while jogging. Do any of you runners out there have similar little rhythms or patterns that you use to get into a good running pace? 
next song is Does Your Mother Know? This was the second single off uh, their sixth album, Voulez-Vous. It debuted on April 19th of 79 at a peak of number 19th on July 21st. This is notable for the male lead vocal performed by Bjorn. It's rare for a single, but he did take the lead on more than a few album cuts. And the ABBA Omnibus site has a Who Sings Which Song page, which I found very useful. I got that linked off of the ABBA chat forums. The reviews of Does Your Mother Know at the time liked the more rocking sound and felt it sounded like songs from Greece. And I wanted to just mention that the title track of Voulez-Vous is one of my favorite ABBA songs, uh, but it only hit number 80 in the States. Up next is The Winner Takes It All. This was the first single off of their seventh album, Super Trooper. It debuted on November 22nd of 80 and peaked at number 8 on March 14th of 81. This was written after Bjorn and Agnetha's divorce. Both partners have said the lyrics are not about their specific situation. However, Bjorn has said his heartache inspired the song. At this point, Benny and Frida were still married but would divorce in 81. The winner takes it all, had the longest chart run on the Hot 100 of any of ABBA's singles at 26 weeks. As mentioned, ABBA only had Dancing Queen as a number one, but I came to learn that the winner takes it all topped the U.S. adult contemporary charts, as did Fernando back in 76. And I was checking out the Dance Club Play songs charts. I thought they might have had some more success over there. Um, and I learned that Lay All Your Love on Me was a number one on that chart, or the disco chart as it was known at the time, in May of 81. ABBA Gold originally made the top 200 albums chart at number 63 in October of 93, stayed on for six months, then re-entered the chart in April of 95, suspiciously close to when Muriel's Wedding was available in the U.S. The album's peak position came in 2018 at number 25, around the time of Mamma Mia 2, and it has been on the album chart continuously from March 13, 2021 until present. Well, that's all from me this week. Thanks so much for listening. Back to you, Andy. Thank you, Rachel. Holy moly. So many great ABBA factoids in that one. My goodness. This has been episode 320 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. We love you. Peace. <laughs>